This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Reaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser, and welcome back to another episode of Reform This. And I'd like to thank uh, my faithful subscribers and all of you for joining me week to week here on uh, this one of a kind uh, podcast. Thanks to the Blaze Radio Network. Your faithful American Muslim patriot, former U.S. Navy lieutenant commander, in the first of its kind podcast brought to you by an American Muslim who loves my country, but also loves my faith and realizes that there is a cancer within, that cancer of political Islam, theocratic Islam, that is the radicalizing ideology across the world, beginning though here in our homeland, an ideology that needs to be treated and needs to be treated strongly. Today, I'd like to talk to you about, again, free speech, but we are going to traverse the battles for free speech from the courtroom to the newsroom. And every week there's the fronts of this battle that uh, we continue to try to fight for as we um, try to peel the onion of reform. And, And there is no better analogy because... As we get deeper and deeper, things are going to get messier. Tears are going to be shed. And uh, ultimately, until we get to the center of the onion, uh, we will only be just touching the surface of the root cause of radicalization. But when I talk about the courtroom, many of you out there that have been following the counter-jihad movement uh, realize that uh, one of the primary battlefields in this is the attempt by Islamists in the West to use our freedom, to use our courtrooms and the legal system to suppress free speech, to bully reformers, to bully those who would question the interpretations of Islam or Muslims in general, uh, to uh, intimidate them into silence or at least quash their ability to feel free to speak because of the financial cost it would bring, because of the fear of the time it would take away from work, away from family, and the possibility. Not the reality, typically, but uh, there is some who lose, but the possibility of losing a lawsuit. And there is no better example to this battle than, uh, and I bring you some good news about this this week, which I think has been showing more and more that the Islamists are getting defeated in the courtroom. And there was just a, uh, a lawsuit that uh, the good Ingrid Matson, former president of the Islamic Society of North America, which is probably one of the largest Muslim organizations in the country, um, has conventions every year, upwards of 40,000, 50,000 American Muslims. Matson was the president of that and uh, recently went to uh, move to Canada. And there was a radio program in which yours truly was being interviewed along with uh, David Harris, 
David Harris is a renowned uh, counterterrorism expert, a leader in Canada who has testified both to the Canadian Parliament and uh, to the recently to the U.S. Senate committees on Homeland Security and uh, um, intelligence and, and others. And he and I were being interviewed by uh, the talk show host uh, in uh, Calgary and in Canada, uh, Roy Green, and he has a, a national talk show host that I participated in quite a bit and uh, have uh, been uh, extensively interviewed uh, on a number of subjects uh, over the years uh, since 9-11 by Roy. David and I joined him on October 11, 2014 to talk about the growing threat of Canadian terrorist travelers migrating to join the Islamic State, leave Canada to join the Islamic State in Syria and Iraq, fight abroad, and some possibly return to the West. And we talked about some of the cases. And there was also a discussion about how political correctness and the documentation about what to look for in these travelers that was being censored to the point of undermining public awareness, security, and public policy development as outlined by the Lawfare Project. And, you know, hats off, by the way. Congratulations to the Lawfare Project on this, and you'll find out what I'm talking about here in a second. But it's led by Brooke Goldstein, who defended David in this uh, lawsuit that uh, ultimately was dropped. And that's the good news this week. But let's let me lay the groundwork of what this was about. Uh, when we were on this radio program on October 11, 2014, we also discussed about how this self-censorship has brought Islamist and Muslim Brotherhood sympathizers and supremacist pro-jihadists who try to apologize for jihad and Islamism into formulating many of the materials. And I described Ingrid Matson, Zaid Shaker, uh, Siraj Wahaj, known icons of political Islam in the United States and Northern America and in the West as being pro-Islamists as being the worst people to be invited to produce documents on counter-radicalization. And the handbook that they produced uh, was uh, a part of an operation of United Against Terrorism produced by the National Council of Canadian Muslims. And ultimately that council was tasked by uh, that, by the way, that, that council was originally founded by the Canadian chapter of the Islamist entity, CAIR, or the Council on American-Islamic Relations, which I love to call the Council for American-Islamist Radicalization, in conjunction also with the Islamic Social Services Association. And I could not believe, when I was asked about it by Roy, that Matson had been selected to lead or be one of the uh, luminaries to write this counter-radicalization handbook. And, you know, I compared it to uh, asking a um, a drunk or a, some, a connoisseur of alcohol uh, who drinks daily to help you in a program against drunk driving. Uh, while she may be against uh, the violence associated with Islamism, a person that is knee-deep in the Islamist movement that believes in the supremacism of political Islam and the Islamic State concept 
believes in the inferiority of Western secular democracies, is anti-Semitic, anti-Western, part of a misogynist organization of ISNA. Yes, she's a woman, but she provides a veneer of softness to an organization that is still, after she left, remains to be heaped, heaped in anti-Semitism, misogyny, anti-Westernism, and pro-Islamism. And I talked about that during the program. So then David responded in the interview and summarized my concern by saying that, quote, the problem of commending radicals like Dr. Ingrid Matson and Siraj Wahaj as experts of Islamic scholars of the use and counter-radicalization is, unquote, was quite significant. And it seems that he was sued by Matson just because of the use of the word radical. And it's amazing that that would justify a lawsuit, and sure enough, she brought up lawsuit of, of having been defamed and, and trying to suppress free speech. And, you know, listen, I don't claim to be an expert on Canadian law and what they can and cannot do, but after a year of bringing David to court, he refused to apologize, stood by his words, provided a wonderful 35-page statement of his defense much of which, by the way, quotes a lot of my work, and I would ask you to look at it because, again, it exposes how I, as a Muslim who loves my faith, am able to separate the, theoc the theocratic mentality of political Islam from the spiritual practice of a faith that's internal, that's personal, that I'm trying and I would uh, have dedicated my life to keeping the theocrats and government out of, but that we as Muslims have a responsibility to counter that theocracy. And the head of that spear that I am fighting are individuals like Ingrid Matson and her Islamic Society of North America. An organization, mind you, that was a co-conspirator in the successful Holy Land Foundational prosecution that involved allegations of funding Hamas, the U.S. and Canadian designated terrorist organization. Now, yeah, Matson and Isna were not charged, but Isna, during her tenure as president, was an unindicted co-conspirator. They moved to try to have the court later, after the conviction of their board members of Holy Land Foundation were, were sentenced. They tried to have that designation of Isna removed and failed in a courtroom. And unfortunately, few people understand the role that leaders like Madsen play in the initial stages of radicalization. And that's what our conversation was about. And it was about educating Canadians, educating Americans about the ideologies that might be nonviolent that are spewed from individuals like Inger Madsen. But the bottom line is, is that when she was brought to the university that she's teaching at, there was many concern that based on the radical tendencies of the funders of her chair, that sure enough she would bring along with it the ideologies of Islamism, and that appeared to be true. Thanks to the persistence of David Harris, his legal representation from the uh, wonderful Lawfare Project led by Brooke Goldstein, Inger Matson a year later said, oh, whoops, uh, I'm not going to sue anymore. And she drops the lawsuit. 
why would they drop the lawsuit? And we see this happening. We saw this happen in a lawsuit that uh, the Islamic Society of Boston had brought years ago after 9-11 against um, a number of individuals in, in the Boston area because of their concerns of the radical ties of the board members of the Islamic Society of Boston. And sure enough, a year or two into the lawsuit, it was also dropped. And make no mistake, it is because when you enter a lawsuit, discovery will happen. And these individuals during discovery do not want it to be known that they have foreign affiliations, that they have statements in their past uh, that lay out their ideas. And when we come back, I'm going to walk you through a little bit of David's defense that I think is a clinic in why we should stand firm and why we need to support the reformers. We need to support those with the courage to stand against Islamists, especially the nonviolent Islamists, because they appear to be on our side against terrorism, which they may be, but ultimately they are not on the side of freedom, not on the side of liberty. They are on the side of censorship. They are on the side of the clerics and on the side of the Wahhabi radicals, make no mistake. This is Zudi Jaster, and I'll be back with Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Reaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Inform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. It's great to be with you, and I thank you again for your support in this podcast. Tell your friends about it. Subscribe. Every week we'll bring to you the latest in the fight against the jihadists and the fight within the House of Islam and the fight for America, for Europe, for Canada, for freedom around the world, freedom for Muslims, for non-Muslims against dictators like Bashar Assad, thugs like the king of Saudi Arabia, uh, uh, monarchs and autocrats, and those who will join us in the battle, not just against terrorism, but the bigger battle against political Islam. We were talking in the first segment about what can be learned from the courtroom to the newsroom, and we're going to get to the newsroom in our last two segments, but, but first... We learned a lot this week at how the courtroom continues. While it's a place that the Islamists try to bully us into silence, they continue to be shown their way to defeat. And Ingrid Matson, the former head of the Islamic Society of North America, now a, a, a professor trying to spew anti-Western Islamism uh, from her perch in Canada, simply all of a sudden decided to just walk away, call a, a, a mulligan, if you will, from the lawsuit. I don't even think she's going to uh, – she's simply saying she dropped her suit cold. Now, I hope David finds a way. Now, I don't know the Canadian law well enough to, to speak for this, but 
wouldn't it be great if now they had to go back and pay for David's legal fees and, and the work of the league, of the lawfare project for frivolous lawsuits? That's the way it should be. Not only should the Islamists lose in the courtrooms or have to walk away, but actually end up having to pay for the legal fees. Why would she walk away? Why would Inger Madsen file this if she knew? She thought she was going to win. She files the lawsuit offensively and then sheepishly grabs her tail between her legs and leaves. Bottom line is is that I think many of these uh, individuals, just like we saw in Boston years ago, many of these uh, uh, hardcore Islamists are arrogant. They think that they uh, can um, bully people into submission, that somehow they're going to settle. And ultimately, I think as an American, gosh, uh, we are blessed with a legal system that that I think is the best in the West, the best in the world regarding the defense of free speech. In Europe, we've seen many uh, um, anti-jihadists silenced in the courtroom. Just look at the work of Rachel Ehrenfeld and, and uh, what happened to her and so many others. And, you know, the only threat I've had in my uh, years since 9-11 and doing this work has come from London. No suit was ever able to be form, formed against me because I had no assets in London, but the bottom line is is that a international organization decided to threaten me from London in lawsuit uh, years ago. And I think David Harris's case now that he's laid out online is, uh, I think, very telling. Uh, and often we aren't able to see these cases as they unfold because they're done in the protection of legal proceedings. Now, David's statement of defense is online, and I'm going to walk through some of, the, I think, the most important things to be learned from his defense. An important support came from the Council for Muslims Facing Tomorrow, a good friend of ours at the Muslim Reform Movement, Raheel Raza. She made the statement that mainstream Muslims in Canada and the U.S. joined their fellow citizens in saluting the Lawfare Project's sterling effort to defend constitutional free expression and advance the cause of justice, Raheel Raza declared. The successful Harris defense marks yet another victory for the Lawfare Project and should be a source of pride and reassurance to all those who are committed to moderation, liberty, and equality. And I think if you look at this case, and also note that David uh, came out also uh, with full freedom and, and full vindication in 2006 after a two-year successful defense against CARE Canada and the NCCM, part of a, a North America-wide libel lawfare silencing offensive um, of that time back in trying to, to suppress other testimony that he had made. But he emerged victorious in that 2006 litigation with no withdrawal, no apology, and no payment and no confidentiality agreement. And it came back again because these bullies won't go away. They're funded, I believe, often by foreign funds. And when it comes time to discovery, they run away. They realize that they are going to lose. Look at David's statement for defense. In it, he lays out much of the words that I used in the radio program and in my work at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. The first five to ten pages of his defense is out of our mission statement about the need 
to defeat theocratic regimes, about the need that, the, that we believe that the root cause of Islamist terror is the ideology of political Islam, and that I equate Islamism with the root cause of terrorism. And that he noted that the plaintiff failed to repudiate any of the misogynistic, that I had said this, I said that, that uh, Matson failed to repudiate any of the misogynistic pronouncement and interpretations of her predecessors at ISNA, and that without an unspoken frontal defense of women against the misogynistic interpretations of Islam by Islamists at ISNA, individuals like Matson remained a complicit veneer for an anti-woman medieval ideology. And yet, we were talking about how to keep Canada safe. We were talking about other individuals with Matson, like Zaid Shaker and Siraj Wahaj. I talked about in my book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, and Siraj Wahaj, who was working closely with Ingrid Matson, Imam Wahaj. The moment I knew that Isna was a, was a plague on the Muslim community was when I stood at the Islamic Society of North America in my naval uniform going to, I had presented a medical paper at the Medical uh, Islamic Medical Association that meets right before the annual ISNA meeting. And that's the only first and last meeting I ever went to in 1995. I stood there and all of a sudden Siraj Wahaj starts reading from his speech and, and says, and, and attacks President Clinton as a baby killer, as a a wanton uh, murderer. Uh, and he said that in, in his speech that uh, uh, Mr. Clinton was pro-abortion, which obviously is is common in America to be critical in, of, of pro-abortion activists, and especially those who are pro-life. However, he went on to say that, that this evil will only go away if America becomes an Islamic state and follows, and he waved the Quran and says, follows the Quran as the constitution. And I, I, I got lightheaded. I felt that all of a sudden I had been transformed from a religious meeting into a seditious meeting of a separate separatist movement that I felt violated my oath to the U.S. Navy and the U.S. military. I then went to a microphone as they were announcing different functions and I said if I may just make a statement before I leave this meeting that any of you who who know what was just said you're free to disagree with policy in America but to call for the wholesale abandonment of the US Constitution is simply sedition and I recommended any active duty personnel to leave immediately and my professor of endocrinology and myself left the Islamic Society of North America, to never come back. And I think listening to Siraj Wahaj, this is so relevant because he wasn't calling for violence, but he was one breath away from calling for jihad, which then would be one breath away from violent jihad or armed jihad. And to say that that wasn't radicalizing those Muslims, and then we see speeches all over the Internet of the Muslim Student Association that birthed the Islamic Society of North America in the 60s, where you see Muslim Student Association brothers talking about jihad being their way and that to die for the way of the Prophet, which is the motto of the, the Muslim Brotherhood, is their war chant. And they do this in our borders. And there are 
YouTube videos of MSA chapter leaders and all over the country saying this um, that have been caught on footage. So it's relevant when we criticize Ingrid Matson that she be held accountable to her relationships in the organization that she led, that she be held accountable to the words not only that she had, but the words of Siraj Wahaj, the words of Zaid Shaker in the New York Times said that he hoped and prayed that America would become an Islamic state. And when I called him out on it in my editorial in the Washington Times, he meant a democratic Islamic state. And now we see after 2011 what Islamic State means in Syria and Iraq. So ultimately he may reject that, but the Ingrid Matsons of the world will attack those who criticize them because they know left to the, to the antiseptic of sunlight they will be defeated and they will go down. So help us. Stand with the David Harris's of the world, the lawfare projects of the world, the American Islamic Forum for Democracies of the world, and our larger Muslim reform movement who stand for freedom, who stand with liberal secular democracies. The victory this week of Ingrid Madsen walking away from her lawsuit that she called to bully and intimidate David Harris and others who would think similar to try to suppress what they said. I hope anyone who ever doubted their freedom to speak up and join David in Canada and what he said would continue to do so. And Raheel Raza's words from Toronto and the Muslims Facing Tomorrow organization, I think, and council is very important because they are all strengthened more for David's courage. They are all We are all strengthened more to continue to marginalize the Ingrid Madsons of the world, the Isnas of the world, not to make them illegal, but to marginalize them and defeat their ideas with the antiseptic of sunlight, to make it clear that organizations and leaders like Ingrid Madsen do not speak for all Muslims, that in fact they speak for those who I believe are not mainstream Muslims, but rather theocratic Muslims. And as David lays out, her words are radical put on a Western standard. She places loyalty to Islam before loyalty to the U.S. She describes America as an unethical nation. She denies the existence of terror cells in the U.S. She defends Wahhabism. She attempts to explain existing Middle East politics strictly on the basis of the destruction of the caliphate, which she alleged deprived the Muslim world of a stable and centralizing authority leading to today's chaos. So she defends the caliphate. Contradiction, complete contradistinction to our Muslim reform movement. She teaches the jihadists Sayyid Qutb, Sayyid Qutb and uh, Sayyid Abdul Al-Maududi in her course at Hartford Seminary. This was before she went to Ottawa. She praised the jihadist Maududi. And on and on. These are not the words of a moderate. Inger Madsen is not a moderate. She's an Islamist. Thank you, David. Thank you to the Lawfare Project. And when we come back, we're going to go from the courtroom to the newsroom. This is Zudi Jasser with Reform This. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser.
on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. Available August 2nd. Pre-order now at glennbeck.com slash liars. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser, and welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. And thank you for joining me week to week and for your loyalty as we continue to be one of the only places you can find an American Muslim taking on the challenges of the wide divides that exist between the Islamist consciousness that dominates our faith community and the West and the lands of freedom, that at the tip of the iceberg is the radicalization, the terrorist groups, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and at the bottom, much larger enemy is theocratic mindset of political Islam that we see ranges from coast to coast among Muslim communities and globally. One of the things that was a little under the radar this week as the country prepares for a political convention season is we saw the re- resurrection, if you will, of the bin Laden name. And uh, one of the uh, bin Laden's sons in his mid-20s uh, released a 21-minute uh, audio recording in which he went on and on using the same propaganda, talking about American infiltration, Western oppression, and colonialization into Yemen, Afghanistan. And he noted that the West will pay for Abbottabad, which, as you know, is the the place in Pakistan in which his father was uh, met uh, his uh, destiny uh, from a killing that uh, was part of uh, a act of the courageous SEAL Team 6. And now, over five years since that time, we find his son resurrecting the brand of jihad, which was Al-Qaeda. The question is, why is that? And uh, I think certainly what we see now is two major things happening. Number one, we see the brand of jihad is flourishing, and that you know, I would tell you that folks like uh, uh, the Al-Qaeda natives, if you will, see ISIS growing and they have ISIS envy. So they want to jump on the jihadist bandwagon, resurrect the brand that they have, use the established street cred that uh, the Bin Laden name brought, and especially the family. It's sort of like their own little version of the barbaric militant Game of Thrones, if you will, for the Islamist radicals and their ISIS envy. They they seek to uh, resurrect the movement of Al-Qaeda onto the backs, piggybacking off of the success of ISIS. Now, Al-Qaeda, as you recall, was a little more known for using hard targets, be it 9-11, airports, and uh, the USS Cole and others. And now I think ISIS has changed that ball game. I think the jihadists now just want to throw a match and see where it lights. They don't care how soft the target is. They just want to take credit for it. We've seen other jihadist groups like Al-Shabaab in Somalia 
and others begin to join the global jihadist movement and really all they want to do is disruption and whatever it takes disruption within the house of islam in the land or dar al-islam within iran and saudi arabia egypt syria as they try to uproot and destroy and hijack the arab awakening which was movements of normal uh, Arabs and others who wanted freedom away from the tyranny that was the cauldrons that was brewing radical Islam and now they find themselves caught between the two evils of secular fascism of these military dictatorships and now the resurgence and the filling into the vacuum of radical Islam so Al-Qaeda is seeing that they're going to lose out on the opportunity of the Arab awakening and Hamza bin Laden has step back into the field. Now, some have said that the jihadist field is not necessarily something that Hamza is leading, but he's being pushed by Wahhabi militants. Saudi Arabia, which birthed not only 15 of the 19 hijackers, but basically the entire Al-Qaeda movement, is continuing to have an increasing radicalization problem now. That's a bit of an oxymoron, if you ask me. The uh, entire legal system of Saudi Arabia is a radicalization brewery, if you will. And Al-Qaeda is simply the unleashed manifestations of their Sharia-based legal system in Saudi Arabia. They are the founding fathers of ISIS. They are the founding fathers of Hamas, of Muslim Brotherhood, other Islamist movements in which theocratic mentality was, was spread globally through the teachings of Ibn Abdul Wahhab and especially through the 20th century spread of Petro-Islam that fueled many of the Islamist movements. Now the Saudis will tell you they're at at odds with the Muslim Brotherhood and at odds with Al-Qaeda, but the pool in which they swim and the trough from which they drink is the same one. So the Bin Laden brand is back and we'll see what, what comes of that, but the other issue I think that this brings to light is, thanks to the Obama administration, thanks to the weakness of Secretary Johnson's Homeland Security and other organizations of our government that are supposed to be keeping us safe, the jihadists really feel no bounds. They are not on retreat. They are on advance. We are on the defense. They are on the offense. The Muslims who would reform those ideas that would counter-radicalize are ignored and marginalized. The Muslims that would believe in their movements, even though they may be nonviolent, are front and center in providing advice on how to counter violent extremism when in fact they are the root cause of the Islamist problem. So I think in July 2016, the reason we see the resurgence of attempts at any types of brand of jihad, be it the old defeated bin Laden name, whatever it is, they're trying to throw it and wherever it sticks, the jihad barbarism will grow. ISIS is a bit on the retreat as our air operations have increased, but still nowhere near enough without any type of ground strategy. But Al-Qaeda is on the advance. You know, we talked about that. Uh, I'd be talking to you today about uh, the the national security of, of America and countering radical Islam. 
and we've talked before about what what importance names and calling the enemy what it is is in order to identify how to identify the the precursors of political Islam of Islamism. But I think it's also important to note that you know I said that today we'd be going from the um, courtroom to the newsroom, and we cannot overstate the importance of what this healthy debate in the media should be. And I think many of you follow who follow our work, not only mine at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, but any other reformists, the feminists, the liberals, those on the Muslim reform movement that I've begun to start to tell you about. And in later episodes, I will bring on to talk with all of you about their work. But you don't hear their voices like you do the voices of the Islamists fueled by the petrodollars. Why? Because they are shut out. Because the Islamists, who are the apologists for political Islam, who deny the need for reform, they control and dominate through what I call the Islamist mafia in America, what I call the OIC lobby, which is that voting block of 56 Muslim-majority countries in the UN that has a major lobby presence in Washington and controls a billions of dollars of propaganda industry that in the Middle East starts with Al Jazeera and every government media arm in Iran such as Press TV, Egyptian TV, Syrian TV are all part of the Islamist movements. Qatar is probably the, the primary central cancer cell. But in the United States... They place their interns, they place their ads, they place their lobbyists, their agents. Uh, many media, recently Washington Post had a, a report long about the millions of dollars invested by the Saudis with their lobbying arm from the right to the left, from Haley Barber to uh, the Clinton Foundation, all who take hundreds of thousands of millions in order to repackage the Saudi image. And again, what that does, what that buys is the blockade of reform-minded Muslims. So if many of you would ask, where are the voices of moderate Muslims? Where are the voices of reform? We are, be blo- we are being blocked by those who are fueled by petro-Islam, who don't want to see Islam reform and modernize, but instead want to see this continued suffocation, even in America, of voices of reform against apostasy laws, against Sharia and government, against blasphemy laws, all the things necessary that are the underpinnings and the underbelly of political Islam are being blocked by the Islamist lobby. A good example is, as you know, we spoke a couple episodes ago about my testimony to the U.S. Senate for Senator Cruz and his subcommittee that uh, looks into homeland security operations and intelligence. And, And we talked about the need, the willful blindness and what it's doing to hamper to hamper our success in keeping this country safe by not calling the enemy radical Islam. And sure enough, The Hill, which is supposed to be a reputable blog, publication, media arm of Congress to keep the the, the check on the halls of Congress, publishes a screed this week from a... Um, a college writer by the name of Sumeya Masoom, and it's called The Fallacy of Ted Cruz's Screaming Siren. 
And she goes on to cite how, by calling it radical Islam, she cites a study from where? Her MuslimGirl.com website <laughs> that says that the acts of Islamophobia increase over the last six months as a result of the politics of the political season. And she blames it on identifying it as radical Islam. Cause and effect is, forget the academics of it, forget the fact that anywhere in the piece does she identify any of the substance of our testimony, which she, which she criticizes that was a part of Ted Cruz's screaming siren. Now again, these propagandists you can find millions of across the Middle East, and many of them have come here to exploit our media to do that. But the, the interesting thing is that this is not a Mother Jones or some far-left blog that will do anything to get at conservative senators like Ted Cruz. This is supposedly the mainstream center publication of the Hill. So there's a lot to learn by seeing the 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 other utter drivel that's being published and used to criticize real conversations on the Hill that we had, where at the end of my testimony, Senator Blumenthal, Democrat from Massachusetts, reaches out to me and says, thank you for your testimony, that the bipartisan testimony that I gave that the Muslim reform movement includes Democrats, liberals, conservatives, Republicans of all stripes demonstrates a diversity that should be the template that what we share is a mission to counter political Islam, be it left or right, and that we come together to defend liberty and that the root cause and the precursors of the radicals of San Bernardino, of Chattanooga, of Boston, of Fort Hood, those precursors could have been seen if we united in a bipartisan way to identify what is and what is not radical Islam. But she ignored it, the Hill ignored it, and unfortunately in bipartisan fashion is typical in, in partisan fashion and not in bipartisan fashion, what we should be doing, ignored the substance of our hearings. There is a deep problem in the media. And this media has a center of gravity not on trying to find areas that we share for issues that we should unite behind for national security, but rather everything revolves around grievance narratives, around minority identity politics, around left versus right, period, full stop. It doesn't matter the substance that we may agree on. So no, the conversation Senator Blumenthal and I had, which was an example of conservative and liberals agreeing, was ignored. When we come back, I'm going to talk to you about the media and something we're doing now at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy to begin to take on the mainstream media head on. Stay with me. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. Available August 2nd. Pre-order now at glennbeck.com slash liars. The 
Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser, and welcome back to Reform This. And thank you for staying with me, and thank you for tuning in to this podcast, one-of-a-kind podcast about Islamic reform and taking on that bridge, that divide, that's that chasm between the theocratic, backward, medieval world of political Islam that dominates so much of the Muslim world and the Western world of freedom and liberty that I believe contains the solutions to reform. We were talking about freedom, about free expression, freedom of expression, free press, and the fact that there's so many obstacles and that these obstacles extend from the courtroom to the newsroom. These rooms are different in their processes, but ultimately the obstructions that the Islamists have and the way they use those to bully and prevent reform is the same. At the beginning, I talked to you about the courageous David Harris and the the tool which Ingrid Madsen, the head of the Islamic Society in North America, had tried to bully her way into simply because David mentioned that he felt that she was legitimately a radical, that somehow that needed to be suppressed and was libelous and slanderous, so she sued him. A year later, she drops the case and walks away as if nothing happened because she had no case because it was probably coming up now for discovery. And this was an interview in which I participated in, and you can look at the case and learn so much about what the facts are versus the false propaganda that the Islamists use to say that, oh, they've been injured, and yet at the end of the day, they're trying to suppress free speech against criticism of their jihad, of their Salafism, of their supremacism against Western freedom. That's how they use the courtroom to defeat and marginalize reformists and those who would question. And that's how they invoke blasphemy laws in America and and Sharia-type interpretations that are fit more for Saudi Arabia than they are for America. What about the newsrooms? Where are the moderate voices in America? And you know, I have to tell you, we have had it to hear with the mainstream media. People tell me, I wish I had, if I had a dollar for every time, people say, Zudi, why are you only on Fox News? Why why are you only on Glenn Beck's network and, and on uh, Mark Levin and, and uh, um, uh, Dennis Prager and the conservative media? Why, why aren't you on mainstream media? And it's as if we ignore the other media. When anyone who knows our communication teams would know that we reach out probably more to liberal media because they don't know us as well. That we spend much more of our resources on trying to find new media to broaden because our reform movement is not about a partisan issue. Yes, I am personally conservative and proud of it, but at the end of the day, my mission to defeat political Islam is no different than the Founding Fathers' mission to defeat theocracy. And they didn't, they came together to uh, defeat the theocrats of the Church of England and those who wanted to prevent a country that would ultimately be the freest country on the planet because of our Constitution and Bill of Rights that came together in what would be considered a very nonpartisan way. And that's what our work is about. But unfortunately, the mainstream media, be it ABC, CBS, CNN, NBC, the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Chicago Tribune, the LA Times, what are considered traditional mainstream media, 
for every 95, 98 times they give voices to the apologists, the grievance mongers, the Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups, those who refuse to acknowledge that Islam globally needs reform, that Muslims need to take on the theocrats, to marginalize the ideas that ultimately lead to one end evil precursor, which is terrorism, but so many other evil endpoints, which includes Iran, the Saudi Arabian regime, the Assad regime, ISIS. All of these byproducts are normal evolutionary endpoints for fascistic theocratic mindset of what I call Islamo-nationalism or Islamo-patriotism, and it's jihad. But the voices of those Muslims are marginalized in the mainstream media. But yet we're always criticized. Where are you guys? It's not up to us. The producers, the editors, the um, heads of these media organizations consider us because we question jihad, because we take them on. They, they, they drink from the trough of the Islamist propaganda to believe that we are so-called Islamophobes, that we are the bigots even though we are Muslims. Because we happen to be saying the same thing as some of the anti-jihad movement that somehow they must be bigots because they're not Muslims, while we, if we Muslims, say some of the same things, criticizing Sharia, criticizing blasphemy laws, talking about women's rights and about uh, the, the honor of the American military abroad, that all of these issues that counter the conspiracy theories of Islamists somehow are irrelevant, and they simply buy the Islamist trope that America, that everything is America's fault. So I have to tell you that many of us have had it. We've had it with the mainstream media ignoring our voices. So what we did was I sent a letter to the heads, the highest we could find at all of these media arms, and I posted it at our American Islamic Forum for Democracy website at aifdemocracy.org. Go to the website. Take a look at the letter. For example, I sent one to Mr. Stephen Burke, CEO of NBC Universal at NBC World Headquarters, FedEx, we know he got it, and hopefully we are waiting for a response from him and from the heads of the New York Times, editor-in-chief. We sent it to the chief editor, managing editor at the Washington Post, asking them why. Why, when they do stories among Muslims, they only ask for homogenous opinions where Muslims all seem to be saying the same thing about presidential candidates, about so-called Islamophobia. I mentioned to the Washington Post editor that your reporters interviewed me two weeks ago on a story on the politics of labeling Muslims and demonizing Muslims. And by the way, I was not necessarily positive about Mr. Trump's views to ban all Muslims and what that meant to America. But yet I gave them a nuanced response about the need for us to stop all immigration until we can vet against jihadists. And that voice was not included. Despite me speaking to the reporters and them reaching out to me, it didn't fit the preconceived narrative that all Muslims must be just completely, completely offended and hateful towards what at times does appear to be some bigoted language that may come out of the campaigns, but yet shows that we need to do more to counter the evil within our faith community. And that message of responsibility was ignored by the Post. And in my letter, just as in the letters we sent to NBC and CBS, we pointed out 
that the question arises, are they deliberately suppressing relevant information about the efforts of Islamic supremacists, Islamist supremacists to take down the United States in accordance with a doctrine they call Sharia? Or are they simply blind to the relevance of such information to its people and to our people in America? So we pointed out that the Holy Land Foundation trial laid out for America an explanatory memorandum of the general goal of the Muslim Brotherhood organizations in America. And that this is not a conspiracy theory. It was accepted by both sides in 2007 Holy Land Foundation trial. We mentioned that the termination in 2012 by the State Department of Investigation into the dangerous Islamic supremacist organization Tablighi Jamaat, led by Customs and Border Protection Officer Phil Haney, may have, if it had continued, prevented the San Bernardino attack that both of those individuals had been following the Tablighi Jamaat schools in California and online through Pakistan. But that program was stopped. I reminded them about the OIC influence in the letter, about that lobby and the what the OIC did in 2011 through trying to enact basically blasphemy legislation through 1618, as it's called. And I asked them to take a look at the Declaration of Muslim Reform Movement and why it is ignored and why the Islamists and groups like CARE the Council on American-Islamic Relations, which is supposed to be persona non grata to our government, is actually frequently seen on their media arms at NBC, CBS, ABC, and elsewhere. Why is that? Now listen, we also mentioned in the letters to them that, you know, it is not our, we're not trying to suppress their voices. We just want America to be educated about A, what they are, and to realize at the end of the day that for media arms that declare that their greatest, their, their raison d'etre is, is diversity, that they believe in diversity. But I reminded their presidents that diversity is not simply racial or ethnic diversity or diversity of national origin. But diversity, if they really mean it, is about ideological diversity. So where are the divorce voices of Islam? And and please, if any of you out there, if I'm missing something, please let me know. What, where are the debates between Muslims about the root causes of radical Islam? Where are the debates on NBC, CBS? Why are they suppressing our voices of reformers that believe that actually when you call it radical Islam, it calls out the urgency for Muslims to speak up and take back, take back their Islam. Where is that? And why is it taking so long for them to wake up to the need for us to have a vigorous debate in our community? They don't want that debate. They continue to feed into the narrative that Islam is all great and peaceful and there's no problem. The interesting thing, I in the letter to the New York Times, we reminded them that they seem to be doing better in the past few months. There have been pieces written about the theocratic evil that's perpetrated in the name of Islam and the Wahhabi form of Islam in Saudi Arabia. The people in prisons have been highlighted by columnists, left columnists like Nicholas Kristof uh, and others. So, in foreign conversations on Saudi Arabia and Iran, the liberals, the left, the mainstream media has had conversations, is beginning to, to hold them accountable to standards they didn't used to be. 
And I think a lot of that comes out of the Arab awakening. So why in the freest country in the world can we not have the same conversations? Why do we become anti-Islam, anti-Muslim, even though I love my faith and I raise my kids to be conservative, God-fearing Muslims in this country? We should be able to have this conversation better than anywhere in the world in the United States of America. But we don't. And it's time that we start to hold our media accountable and we ask them in the letters that we sent that that ultimately their refusal, we, we call upon them to rectify the situation immediately and we stand ready to assist them. They should be giving anti-Islamist Muslims equal time to allow us to educate their viewers and their readers about the real debate happening within the House of Islam over the threat of Islamism, its movements, and its malignant interpretation of Islamic law. And that we want to help protect America. And we're not trying to suppress those voices that we disagree with, but for, for crying out loud, let Americans see that there is a debate. There is a vibrant debate within the Muslim community. Let them see that we're not monolithic and homogenous. So as we look from the courtroom to the newsroom, there is a suppression of the voices of reform, and they exist. It's not just Zudi Jasser at Reform This. There is Raheel Raza with the Muslims Facing Tomorrow. There is Ezra Nomani, who uh, was a columnist, a freelance columnist uh, with the Wall Street Journal, with the Washington Post, and uh, many other media arms. She's done documentaries and many others. We have Usama Hassan, Majid Nawaz with Quilliam Foundation. We have Arif Humayun, who is a reformer, a fellow with the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. Courtney Lonergan, who is a, a activist with the American Islamic Forum for Democracy that has spoken out uh, in Arizona and now nationally. And so many other reformers that I would ask you to look at at our Muslim reform movement. These are the voices the mainstream media suppresses. These are the voices that have been speaking out against the homophobia, the anti-Semitism, against the suppression of free speech, and don't always, as that absurd writer in The Hill, basically blamed everything on American xenophobia rather than at home within the Muslim consciousness. Start challenging the media. Start demanding that mainstream media include our voices and not just conservative media. We are here to serve our country. We want to take back our faith, bring it to the 21st century. And I think we need to start asking Muslims, what's your legacy? What is their legacy for their children and their children's children? Will it be a modern Islam that's compatible with the secular liberal state, regardless of whether Muslims are 5% or 90% of those countries? Or is it an Islam that's theocratic? The revolutions in the Middle East now are beginning to spread more and more militant Islam. And I hope that those revolutions begin to transform back to what they were meant initially, which was for freedom, liberty, free markets, free thought, critical thinking, and a beginning of the establishment of institutions of modern reform. And that needs to happen. So from the courtroom to the newsroom, we have a lot of work to do. But before we can hold Muslims accountable, we need to give them the platforms and the space. Demand from your mainstream media leadership 
top-down that they give the space to Muslim reformers and get our voices out there on all platforms so that you can see that the Islamists don't represent us. This is Zudi Jasser with the Blaze Radio Network on Reform This. Thank you for joining me, and I look forward to talking to you next week. God bless. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network.